Hello, Philip Terzian here, Literary Editor of the Weekly Standard, and I wanted to talk to you for just a few minutes about the Books and Arts section of the January 20th issue, which, as always, uh, we have put together with an eye to appealing to the interests and curiosity of as many readers as we can. Our lead piece is actually a piece I'm particularly pleased with by one of our senior writers, Jonathan Last, and it's on what seems like an arcane subject. The book is called Terms of Engagement, How Our Courts Should Enforce the Constitution's Promise of Limited Government by Clark Neely. Sounds dry as dust, but it's actually quite an interesting book, and it makes an interesting argument that conservatives have tended to complain about activist judges and conservative judges and justices have uh, generally ruled in a way that defers to the intent of the legislature. In other words, the legislature is the voice of the people, should have the last word on issues. And in fact, Mr. Neely's view is that this gives the legislatures, uh, either state legislatures or more specifically Congress, a considerable more power and considerable more weight, considerably more weight in the uh, balance of powers than it probably should have, and so he is calling for kind of a conservative activism on the bench to strike down uh, laws that conservatives would consider unconstitutional, and not to feel such a strong deference to the will of the majority as reflected through the acts of legislatures. So it's an interesting argument, and Jonathan Last makes it makes it all very clear and very interesting to the lay reader, which certainly uh, includes me. We have another piece by a frequent contributor, Edwin Yoder, which is about a fairly famous painting by Edward Manet, Le Déjeuner sur l'herbe, which you may recognize if you see it uh, when it's reproduced in the magazine. It's a picnic scene, mid-19th century uh, France, uh, with a couple of men sitting, eating in a forest, and a naked woman is sitting there sort of nonchalantly among them. And it's a fascinating discussion of how this painting uh, represents the uh, revolution in artistic sensibility at that time in, in France, indeed in Europe, and which led to the uh, modernist movement. And also uh, talks a little bit about how the novelist Emile Zola, who is today probably best known for his journalistic role in the Dreyfus Affair around the end of the 19th century, uh, actually is one of the few novelists who has tried to write about art and artists and the artistic uh, impulse in fiction and how he succeeds in doing so. And it's a great piece, as is the piece after that by James Banner, a historian of the early American Republic, who's reviewing a book by Jeffrey Pasley called The First Presidential Contest, 1796 and the Founding of American Democracy. Now you say the 1796 presidential election and you scratch your head wondering, uh, uh, let's see, did we have elections in 1796 and if we did, who on earth was running? And in fact, it's a very important election. You could almost say it was the first political presidential election in American history, because this was at the end of George Washington's second term, and the question, the contest was between who was going to succeed him. 
And the candidates, of course, were John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. And as we know, Adams won, and uh, as we know now, but they didn't know in 1796, Adams would have a reasonably unsuccessful term, and Thomas Jefferson would defeat him on the second go-around in 1800. But the interesting thing, uh, which Banner explains in, in very interesting detail, is how that election really invented the two political parties as we know them today, not necessarily by name or institution, because of course the Republican Party wasn't founded until the middle of the 19th century. But this is very much a, a Federalists versus Democrats uh, division. Uh, Adams, the Federalist candidate, Jefferson, the, as it was called at the time, the Democrat-Republican candidate. First emergence of left and right in American certainly American presidential politics, and something to remember in our day and age, a particularly nasty election. We often forget in our lamentations about civility in Washington just how remarkably uncivil politics has been since the very founding of the Republic, and these venerated figures like Adams and Jefferson uh, engaged in all sorts of hanky-panky that we would today find comparatively shocking. This is all summed up in very interesting and in times amusing way by Jim Banner. We have a wonderful essay by a writer named Peter Tonget about the Kennedy Center Honors, which takes the view that the Kennedy Center Honors, which began in the late 1970s as a means of honoring uh, distinguished people in the arts, um, great painters, great novelists, dancers like Merce Cunningham, composers like Aaron Copland, or even popular composers like Alan J. Lerner and others, and how the step-by-step step, uh, over the years the distinction of the Kennedy Center Honors has kind of gradually gone in a downward direction, and so we now find ourselves uh, tuning in to the annual broadcast of the Kennedy Center Honors, where it involves um, uh, long tributes in the presence of the president and other dignitaries to uh, people like the surviving members of Led Zeppelin or, uh, for example, uh, David Letterman, who was a recent Kennedy Center Honor. The point being that it's a kind of downhill trajectory from... Uh, Beverly Sills and uh, people like that to the inventor of stupid pet tricks like David Letterman. It's a funny piece and it has some uh, rather shocking examples, but it's also an instructive piece and who knows, maybe the next president will, uh, will take heed and uh, change the tone and tenor uh, from a slightly lowbrow to maybe a little more middlebrow, even perhaps highbrow uh, honorees in the future. Our movie review this week is appropriate. John Podhoritz is talking about The Wolf of Wall Street, Martin Scorsese's biographical film about a Wall Street financier uh, who was also a fraudster and which has been uh, lavishly nominated for the Academy Awards this week as well. John's view of the movie is uh, that although it is done with Scorsese's usual skill and verve, there's a little too much emphasis on how much fun 
Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill and the other stars are having, uh, spending all the money, throwing lavish parties, hiring strippers, drinking, doing drugs, and so on, and not so much on the business of how they got the money and how they pulled off the fraud that underwrote it all. So it's an ambitious movie and a very long movie that uh, I think to some degree, at least in John's view, doesn't quite measure up to the challenge that uh, he's laid out for himself as a filmmaker. But as always, John writes an interesting piece and gives us a lot of interesting background, not only on this, but on other treatments of the same subject. So I think it's an interesting section this week, at least I hope it is, which will give us all uh, something to think about and give you something interesting to read. Thanks a lot.